good morning harvest. We could just do that all day. I don't feel like we should move away from that. That is uh, window rattling, earth shattering, life altering worship. We're in the presence of God. Was that not awesome? He is amazing. Well, uh, my name is Jeff. I'm a pastor here, and I am so glad you are here. So would you just take your Bibles? We're going to go to Ephesians, and uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We've made it to the next chapter in this series. Yes, we're super excited about that. Uh, I know like some of you may not have a Bible in front of you. You'll notice that our ushers are coming by. Would you just grab their attention, and uh, you can get a Bible from them. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. We're going to be there in Ephesians chapter 2. But before we do that, I want to play a game. Can we play a game this morning? I know you didn't come to church to play games, but you're going to humor me anyway. So here's how this game works, all right? I'm going to tell you a uh, a famous artist. I'll say the name of a famous artist, and you tell me the masterpiece that they are best known for, all right? Make sense? Like I tell you, artist name, you tell me. Uh, the work of art or the masterpiece that they're best known for. Ready? We all ready for this? All right, we're going to start with something nice and easy, something that everybody should know. Uh, Even if you're not an art guy, uh, this isn't the category where you just turn off, like, whatever, I don't have anything to offer. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to ease into this. Okay, here's one. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Mona Lisa. Well done. Some of you may have thought, like, The Last Supper or something like that, but uh, this is probably like the most famous painting ever in the history of the world, right? And so I kind of thought that'd be an easy way to start. How about this one? Uh, Vincent Van Gogh, Starry Night. How'd you all know that? Like, it, it's, you're, you're catching on. This is this well done. You guys are doing a great job. That's one of my favorites. Just love that one. Uh, how about this? Uh, Michelangelo. <laughs> I love that somebody said David. We kind of thought about that. And then we realized, you know what, it might not be a good thing to put David on the screen, so we decided to go with something else. So yes, we've, we've gone with the creation of Adam and the Sistine Chapel. How about this one? This is a nice and easy one. Uh, Bob Ross. Happy little trees, right? Some outdoor scene, you've got to have uh, all the little friends that he's going to paint. All right, how about this one? God. I, I, yeah, I, I know. I, I bet you didn't see that one coming in church, but... Uh, What is God's masterpiece? We think about all the things that he's made. I mean, we could could go with the Grand Canyon, right? I mean, that's pretty awesome. In fact, i got to admit, I've never been there, but I'm told uh, pictures do not do it justice. You just got to stand in front of that and you're in awe, right? It's incredible. Or or maybe you think Mount Everest. I don't think we have anybody in here that's climbed Mount Everest, but you could think of the, the majesty of the mountains, or, or maybe you think of like Niagara Falls and all those cubits of water pouring over the side every second, something really powerful like that. Or maybe you think of like the universe, you think of like the stars or the, the galaxies, you think of something really big like that. Or I know that my wife is probably thinking about a uh, tropical island in the South Pacific, something along those lines. Um, or maybe you think Maybe you think it's something like a baby, a brand new, wonderful little baby, or uh, a beautiful flower, or something along those lines. Well, the thing that God says is His masterpiece is right here. It's you. Now somebody 
Somebody asked me. Where's that in the Bible? Come on, somebody asked me. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, here we are at this, this next section, verses 1 through 10. I want you to see this, that if you are in Christ, God's masterpiece is you. Uh, this, again, I, I think Paul just likes these run-on sentences because the next ten verses in chapter 2 is one sentence in the Greek, and it has this conclusion here at the end. If you're looking at verse 10, you see it right there. You see it, verse 10? For we are His workmanship. The word there in the Greek is the word poiema. It's where, uh, our, we, that's kind of the origin of our English word poem. And it means a work of art. It means handiwork. It means a masterpiece. And so if you were to walk through God's art museum, there's all sorts of things that you would see on display, but if you turn the corner, you would see a crowd gathered around this, and you'd see this one, uh, you'd hear the, the buzz and the excitement. You'd see this one lifted up on a display, centered in his, uh, in his collection here. The premier exhibit in the gallery of his creation is you. Turn to your neighbor and say, who, me? I know some of you are like really shocked that it's the person next to you. Uh, but, but the really point, like that, that's, that's actually a really good response that we would have. Like when we hear that, uh, we probably need to feel a little bit like, wait a minute, like you're, are you looking at me like that? I'm God's masterpiece? That's a really good response. A bad response is like, well, I don't want to brag, but that kind of makes sense. Like, no, 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 no. Like that, that's, there's no room for pride here. This isn't so that we will puff ourselves up in our own importance, but quite the opposite. As we saw last week, if you're there in the text, you see chapter 1, verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says, I want you to have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And we said last week that really that's God's way of helping us understand you. If you belong to Christ, then you are my inheritance, is what he says. And so, God treasures us. We are his inheritance. That means we have value because of who we are in Christ. And we also said that our value then is not tied to our person or our performance. Praise God for that. But I just want to bring a little bit of a point of clarification because I, I wrestled with this in my mind. We don't want to diminish the significance of, of the fact that humanity is created in the image of God. That is a really important doctrine. That means that we have value, and it's the reason that we stand and defend the sanctity of life. We are created in the image of God, but the problem is we are marred by sin. And so that does not mean that we are inherently worthy to be saved. We are not lovely, inherently even lovable. The Gospel tells us that God loves us despite ourselves. Romans 5.8, he says that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So maybe this is kind of a helpful way of thinking about it. Tim Keller has said it this way, that our identity, our identity is received, not achieved. Okay? It's not because we are awesome. And yet, here we are, standing at this display in verse 10. Which says, for we are His workmanship. Meaning we can see God's handiwork. We can see His craftsmanship when we look at us. Why us? Well, look at what he says. It says we are His workmanship created. There's that little phrase there. We've been seeing this over and over in the book of Ephesians. It's two little words. 
in Christ. Remember, the contents of this mirror are in Christ. If you belong to Jesus, then that's what he's saying. You're going to see his craftsmanship. You're going to see his handiwork. And really what we're going to see in this text is that we were those who were dead. We've already looked at this this morning. But whom God raised to new life and he saved by his grace apart from our performance. That is a masterpiece. That's his work of art. Now, I kind of like to think of myself as a cultured person. Um, but I've got to be honest with you. Um, I don't go to art museums very often. I don't know if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, like, I, I think the reason that I don't go is sometimes you're, like, you're walking through and like, well, that's kind of cool, or that sculpture, or that work, you know, that, that, that uh, I don't know, it's kind of neat. But most of the time, I can't really appreciate that. And I know it, because I'm looking at some of that stuff, and like, I kind of feel like I could do that. So sometimes, sometimes it's one thing for somebody to point to a work of art and say, that is a masterpiece. But it's quite another thing for them to show you why. And to show you all the skill and all the work that went into making it. You ever watch a, a making of one of your favorite movies? You know what I'm talking about? It's that moment where you start to realize, well, that's why it's really a work of art. That's why it's a masterpiece. Well, Paul is going to examine the craftsmanship here and show you what went into making this. Because the more you marvel at his handiwork, you're going to see and be more impressed, not with the creation itself, but with the Creator. So Ephesians chapter 2, let's read this whole section together now. You follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 1. Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. If God, would you even use this text? We love Your Word. We love this these truths that wash over us, that remind us of who we are. And we come to this mirror ready to take another look, asking, would you bring clarity here? But we want to see less of us. We want to see the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, that you would get the glory. It's your grace. It's always been grace, and it will always be grace. So would you encourage our hearts with that today? We'll praise you. We love you. Well, we are God's masterpiece. So we want to examine this craftsmanship and look at the implications. Kind of, we, we just want to really apply this. If that's our big idea this morning, that we are God's masterpiece, then the question you need to be asking is like, so what? So what? what, what, what? How should I respond to that? Well, note this. Two responses. Here's one. 
Remember your story so you worship Christ. Remember your story so you worship Christ. Now listen, all of you have a story. You, are, you know, if we were to sit down and just kind of go over coffee or, or tea, if coffee ain't your thing, that's fine. If we were to sit down and I get your story, I'm going to hear about your life. You have a story. The question is, do you have a God at work story? Uh, in church speak, we call that a, a testimony. Um, we, we do this a lot. We've done this in our small group. We don't do it all the time, but sometimes it's really good for us to share our testimonies, get to know, hear the story of how God has worked in your life. And so here's the crazy thing. If you are in Christ, your story may be different than mine, but if you are in Christ, all of our stories have two main parts, okay? So here we're going to look at the craftsmanship. Here's the first part. I was. I was. Paul's urging us to remember. Remember who you were B.C., before Christ. Can you remember that? He's saying it's really important that you don't forget where you came from. Because if you fail to marvel at the masterpiece of the work of the gospel in your life, if you forget how far you were from Christ. So it's really important. Don't forget where you came from. How many of you uh, ever kind of bust out the photo albums or see a like time hop on your Facebook or something and, and one of those memories of years ago and you're like totally embarrassed by the picture. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Carissa and I are getting to the point now uh, where we've been married for like 10 years, and which is awesome. Love that. Uh, but we're getting to the point now where we start thinking about uh, what we were like when we were first married. In fact, I have a picture up here. Uh, this is actually, yeah, I know, it's kind of funny. Uh, this is... This was uh, actually when we were dating, and uh, I, 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 please pray for me, I did not get permission to show this picture, uh, but uh, I, I realized that I look like, she looks amazing, I look like I'm 12, and yes, I had a lot of hair back then. We were actually, yesterday we were just talking about what we were like all those years ago when we first got married, and, and I got to be honest with you, the more I think about who I was and what I was like, it's embarrassing. I was an idiot. And there are times I'm like, babe, why did you say yes? And why did anybody ever take a chance on me? Does anybody ever feel like this when you look back and you think about who you were years ago? Okay, I can't, I, there's no way I could show you a picture from middle school because I would never be able to show my face again in here, okay? It's just, when I look back, it's kind of embarrassing. And what Paul is saying is, when you take a minute to remember where you were, who you were, before, it's not glamorous. And in order to appreciate God's work in your life, you're going to have to remember the ugly part of the story first. And here it is, verse 1. You were dead. Before you were in Christ, you were in sin, which meant you were dead or spiritually dead. That's contrasted with uh, having a living relationship with God and the promise of eternal life. It's kind of evocative imagery, and I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but it's, it's not something we're really comfortable thinking about. We don't like to think about a graveyard or a corpse, but Paul's just telling you that's who you were before Jesus. That's the first part of your story. Now, how many of you have ever heard someone else's testimony? They start sharing their story, and, and, and you kind of feel like uh, your story's not as great because your story doesn't include a chapter that has all like the, 
the drugs and the sex and the murder and prison and all this. You know what I'm talking about? At some point, you've heard somebody's story and they start going in and it's like crazy and you, you're thinking about your life and it's like, and I'm just like really boring compared to that. So I don't feel like I have much of a testimony. Well, listen, if you feel like your BC days weren't juicy enough, it's because you're not really understanding how bad off you really were. And we need to be careful with this. If you think that your story was, well, I kind of always believed in God and I was really a, a good person. Not true. And there's also danger in comparison. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. That guy's worse than me or I'm not as bad as, as her. I love how Warren Wearsby has said it. He said this way, all sinners are dead. And the only difference between one sinner and another is the state of decay. The lost derelict on Skid Row may be more decayed outwardly than the unsaved society leader, but both are dead in sin, and one corpse cannot be more dead than another. So here's the warning. Ready? If you are not in Christ, then don't put your hope in being better than the guy next to you. Dead is still dead. And Paul's telling you, that's who you were in Christ. So it doesn't matter how decayed you perceived yourself to be. You were dead, and it doesn't get any worse than that. It doesn't matter if you were the, the black sheep in the family who always did wrong, or, or, it, or whether you had the, the scarlet letter of shame publicly wearing that in front of other people, or whether like the worst thing that your parents can think of is that you cried a lot or stole a cookie from the cookie jar once. It doesn't matter if your BC days only lasted until you were four years old. You were in bad shape. And some of you felt that all too well. But here's the point. Here's the point. If we are dead, what, what does a dead man do? Think about that. What, 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 what can a physically dead person, what are they able to accomplish? I'm just going to let you confer with your neighbor for just a minute, okay? So why don't you tell the person next to you, go ahead and tell them. What can a dead man do? Go ahead and tell them. We've got a whole lot of answers. Come on, tell me, tell me. What, what can a dead man do? Nothing, and that's Paul's theological point here. There was nothing you could do about your situation. You couldn't change your story. You were caught. You were buried in your grave. And just to prove that you were dead, Paul uh, gives us an autopsy here, and he gives us some evidence. Uh, here's the evidence that we were dead. First, it's evident in our actions. Uh, you see this in verse 1. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked. That's just Christianese for uh, how you live. Okay, So he's saying you were dead and you lived like it. You acted like it. You were, you gave in to sin. And you were enslaved to it. And there were three main irritants that fought against you and, and, and they still do. And they cheered your defeat in temptation. One was the world. Another was the devil. And the last is your flesh. And in fact we see all of them right here in the text. It says, you were acting like it. You once walked in this sin, verse 2, following the course of the world. Do you know that the world hates God? The world hates God, and it offers up every form of temptation or idolatry to replace Him. They're like, here, here, worship this, or, or, or try this, or chase after this, or anything but Him. The world hates God, and you followed it. And it also says that you were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's the devil. That's Satan. And you know that he hates God. And he gloats 
when the image bearers of God join in rebellion and disobedience against Him. You followed Him. But you got to know that Satan hates you too. So if he's going down, he wants to take you with him. So he loves to see you wallowing in misery and defeat. You followed the world and you followed the devil. And then verse 3, it says that among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And um, my, my flesh, is, that, that's just kind of a way of saying uh, my desires, who I am. My, my desires are twisted and evil, bent towards sin. And so we see these three enemies of the soul, the world, the devil. But this last one, the flesh, really reminds me that I'm not a victim here. I'm not a victim because I wanted to be dead and live like it. I certainly didn't want God. So the evidence was in my actions. Remember that? Remember your story? We acted like we were dead to God. And it was also evident in our nature. You see that at the end of verse 3. He says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were, we were born into it. Yeah, you were born that way. You were born into sin, born deserving of God's wrath. Now, listen, I love our little kids. I love, like, right after the service, and they come in here, and they're running around. It's a lot of fun. We love them. They're cute. But they are little sinners. Amen, parents? You know what I'm talking about? We've said this before, that the doctrine of original sin is the easiest one to prove. All you got to do is just go hang out and harvest kids for a little while. You'll get it. Nobody has to teach them how to sin. They love it. It's, it's part of their nature. We were born this way. So here's the problem. You need to make sure that you don't get fooled on this one. You are not a good person in your nature. Do you know that? That's not who you are. Our hearts, my heart, is naturally self-centered and self-indulgent, rejecting and sneering at a loving and holy God. And if we make the mistake to think that deep down we're all just good people, if we make that mistake, then we're going to question the fairness and legitimacy of God's judgment. But He's telling us this is who we are. We were born in this, and we deserve His wrath. We were dead. I realize that that's not exactly encouraging. But you're, you just got to know your BC days were bad news. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. I was is not the end of our story. Here's the second main part. We're looking at the craftsmanship. You see it? I was. Look at verse 4. You see it there in verse 4? But. Perhaps two of the greatest words in all of the Bible. But, God, is that your story? Can you see a great contrast in your life? Is there a time when you look back and you're like, man, I was doing my own thing. I was living it up over here. But, God, He stepped in and He radically changed my life forever. Do you see that? But the focus is not on you. The focus is not on your story. But look at it, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. Do you see how wonderful He is? Do you see His, you see his mercy? Do you see His love? Do you see His work? Here it is, verse 5, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And 
He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad you were. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We were all dead, but God breathed life into our dead corpse and raised us by the power of His resurrection. That is hope, and that is a miracle. And Paul's wrestling with this. He knows how important this is. We need a Savior who is resurrected from the dead. In fact, he knows this so well that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Because if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If Jesus is alive, if He rose from the grave that Easter morning, and if we are in Christ, then we have been raised with Him. And we have victory over sin and over death. Is that your story? He's saying, remember what you've done. Remember what God has done. Remember the work that Jesus has done in your life. That is His handiwork. That is a masterpiece. And your story leads to worship because it displays His grace. Look at verse 7. The reason is so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So when you look in the mirror of God's Word and you see that you are in Christ, really what you're looking at, you are looking at a canvas on which God has painted His most brilliant masterpiece. And He has made some wonderful things. He has made some beautiful things. I think about the days that I stood in the hospital for all four of my kids right after they were born. It was so beautiful, so wonderful, it wrecked me. You think standing on the, on the beach overlooking the vastness of the ocean, stretching as far as the eye can see, or, or standing under the sky at night under a thousand stars, you just get this sense of, of awe and how small we are, how big this universe is. I'm telling you, God's creation can just take our breath away. But even more glorious than creation is God's work of conversion. Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher, said it this way, spiritual life which is reached in the work of conversion is a far greater and more glorious effect than mere being in life. More beautiful than a sunset at sea is a repentant sinner who prays, dear God, save us. And when God raises from death to life, that is a miracle. And it is a masterpiece. When you look at a sinner who has been saved, you're not impressed with the painting, but with the artist. The point is that you would see this great God, see His mercy, see His love, see that He is so kind, see that His grace is rich, and that you would worship Christ. It displays His grace, and it also discourages pride. You know these verses. Verse 8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. You have that memorized? We need to run back to this again and again and let the gospel wash over this. Because when we remember the reality of who we were, there's no way that we will ever brag about what we did. It won't happen. You won't even have a moment where you say, well, you know, I chose wisely. Nah, bro. He chose you. You didn't do anything. You were dead, remember? But God has raised us to new life. And so there's no room for pride here. Remembering your story so you worship Christ unless you, it fills you with the joy of your salvation again. Now we, we want to give you opportunity to do this every Sunday. I hope that you sense this because we'll come in. Oftentimes we start our worship time with a, a corporate call to worship. Do you feel that? Let us go to the house of the Lord. We want to worship Christ together. And we have these songs. We call them our we songs. Let's do this together. But then we move into a time where we go before the altar and we have me songs. And that's not because we're uh, egotistical. We just want to focus on ourselves. But we want to make sure that we understand that this gospel is personalized. That God has done this in my life. And so we sing these songs. We think about what He has accomplished for us. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. And the more we focus on what God has done, the less we see of ourselves and we finally get rid of the we, we get rid of the me and it's all just you. How great thou art. It leads us to worship because He's awesome. Maybe some of you though, you think about your story and you would say, if I like look at the chapters in my life, I'm not sure that I have that contrast. Some of you don't have this story. And I just encourage you, the pages of Scripture are pleading with you to understand you are in trouble. Because Paul's saying you are dead in your sin. And that is an eternal death separated from God. And there's nothing you can do about it. You deserve it. It's not about what you do. The good news is what Jesus has done for you. That He took the wrath of God. You deserved it. But He went to the cross to pay for that. And He died so that you could live. Did you put your faith in Him? Put your trust in Him. And say, dear God, save me from my sin. He wants to change your story today. I'm telling you, if you change your story, it's going to lead us to worship. Love what God has done. That's one response to God's masterpiece. But here's a second. Recognize your calling to work for Christ. Recognize your calling to work for Christ. Uh, Verse 10, we've looked at this already, but he says, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Listen, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And this is really important that you understand this. Who we are changes how we live. In fact, we're going to feel this in the macro structure of this letter. You're going to see Paul's like taking the first three chapters and he's laying it on thick with all this theology. This is who you are. Do you see Christ? Do you see what He's done? You need to know these things. This is who we are in Christ. You're going to feel this transition 
by the time we get to chapter 4, he rolls right into, if this is who we are, then this is how we should then live. And it gets really practical. Who we are changes how we live. And so the question is, do you see a change in how you live? Do you see a change in your actions? Are you different? Because if you don't see a change, then you need to question whether there has been a change. Whether God has done a work in you. But when you look at the workmanship of a changed life, you see that God has done a powerful work. And that is His masterpiece. And it says here that uh, these good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. I love this because that means that this was always by His design. Now, if, I, uh, if my iPhone were suddenly to uh, like break and it stops working, let's just say it starts going crazy, and, and I'm not a tech guy, I like the fact that I can just swipe. So when, if it's not working right, where am I going to take it? I know some of you like techie guys, I know you're like, come over to my house, we'll rip into it and we'll figure out what's wrong with it. Probably not going to do that. Where am I going to go? I'm, I'm probably going to set up an appointment at the Genius Bar at the Apple Store. Why? Because they designed it They made it, and they know how it's supposed to work, and so I'm hoping and assuming that they'll be able to fix it for me, and and, and in fact, they'll probably be able to show me how how to get more out of it. Uh, Those of you who have one of these things, you know that there's an app called Tips. You ever gone through that, right? And, And you can, like, figure out better ways to use this because they know, they designed it, they know how it's supposed to work. Question, is it possible that the one who designed you, the one who made you, that He knows best how you are supposed to work. Is it possible? See, God made you for good works that bring Him glory. And we've already seen that it's, we're not saved by those works, but James chapter 2 says faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so God has done this. I'm, it's by His grace I have been saved, but now He empowers me to live, and it's His design that I would work, and He gets the glory. And so uh, we are never going to apologize for asking you to work for Christ around here at Harvard. Because this is who we are. And this is what we do. We make disciples. And we want to be disciples who are working for Christ. And I just want you to see this. Look back again, verse 2. Look at verse 2. You see it there? You used to follow the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Did you know? Did you know? Satan used to work in you. Not anymore. God is at work in you. And what a powerful masterpiece when we see it. So we want to have disciples around here that are worshiping Christ that are thinking about their story, what God has done in our hearts, our desires have changed. And, and we come in here on Sunday mornings, we're just ready, eager to get into His presence, longing to be here with His people and praise His name. We worship Christ together on Sunday morning. We want to have disciples who walk with Christ, who learn what it means to have this relationship with Jesus and to be in relationship with His people, to love what He loves, and He loves His church. And so we want to be disciples who walk with Christ, and we do that in our small group. We also want to have disciples who work for Christ. And that's in our active serving. So listen, when we see you with a, a welcome team lanyard on and a smile, or when we see uh, you tearing down the stage or, 
or, or teaching in Harvest Kids, or, or if we see you uh, uh, counting the offering after service, or strumming a guitar, or trying to keep up with me on the slides, or, or um, if you're making snacks for small group, um, or, or if you're taking our prayer requests before the Lord, if you're doing all these things, listen, don't think that your ministry is a small thing. Because when we see you serving, we are witnessing the workmanship of God. And it's a masterpiece. And so we're praying that He's going to keep working. As our worship team comes, we're just praying that God's going to continue to do His work here. We've been praying this all year. We've been praying, God, work. God, would you continue to work in our church? We want to see this. We want to be lives who are changed. See the evidence of that change in our actions. We have a new nature now. We have new desires. and We love Christ. We want to see this in our serving. Those of us who get busy, get active. Not because we think we're going to earn it. We're not going to earn God's favor. But because of what He's done in our lives, we want to give Him the praise and the glory for it. Amen? God is a masterful artist. And as we look at the church, as I look at you, and He's just, He's incredible. Look what He's done. He's at work in our church. God, would you continue to do that? We want to give you praise and glory. You're just an awesome creator. We confess that we think about our story, where we come from. It's kind of embarrassing. It's not glamorous. But the more we think about where we came from, we recognize how awesome you are to raise us from death to new life. Thank you. want to be witnesses of your handiwork in us. So God, would you continue to do your work here at Harvest? Not for us. Not for our name, but for yours. In the precious name of